0: to the Empowering the Future of Work podcast from InTech Ideas. The world of work has changed dramatically for companies and their team members. It's almost like someone hit the fast forward button, creating a new normal for work. The challenges we're encountering are endless, but there is a better way. This podcast focuses on tips, tricks, and topics to help you to excel in this new normal. We'd love for you to join us after the show when we host discussions about each topic on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now let's get started.
1: Hi, and thanks for joining the Empowering the Future of Work podcast. This is Skip Marshall with InTech Ideas, and I'm here with James Ringrose from RCP Learning. Hey, James, how are you? I'm great, Skip. How are you? Awesome. Thanks for joining. Now, you guys are a full content service provider for content development, for the learning space and other things, I imagine. Tell us a little about yourself.
2: So um, we started as a production company about 10 years ago, and we the vast majority of our productions were for training. And so over the course of the last 10 years, we've morphed into um, an e-learning content company. And we build everything from simple modules to very complex modules for large companies. And our range of clients stretches from large insurance companies through pharmaceutical companies, through um, manufacturers and retailers. So we have a very, very wide, diverse range of clients, driven a lot by the fact that we did productions for them in the past.
1: Awesome. So you've got you've got a perfect background for today's topic. We're going to talk about moving ILT to self-service in a distributed workforce environment. Now, obviously, with everything going on in the world with the, the pandemic and everybody moving to remote work, this has been been a hot topic, people trying to figure out how they uh, make this transition and what they're going to do. They've got lots of live event classes, lots of trainers ready to go deliver training, but nobody's around to be able to do that. Um, so what are you guys seeing so far um, as, as the kind of common reaction for this and what people are having to do? So we've been
2: we've been through a number of phases. When, when COVID first became an issue, I think a lot of companies tried to, to sort of power through it and continue to build the, the same kind of content and use the same con- kind of content they have. For example, they might take an instructor-led training that was four hours long and just stick it on Zoom and have whoever gave it and then sit in front of Zoom and try and do it. Not a particularly successful way of doing training. A bit painful. A bit <laughs> painful. Um, now, a purist might say, well, it's obvious you've now you've just switched to e-learning and, and it's easy and, you, and it's self-service and people do their own stuff and it's the world's going to be simple. Of, of course, it's sort of one size doesn't fit all in this instance. It's not that's not as simple as it appears. Some organisations really do need to have a lot of hands-on training. Some organisations can be completely. If you're an insurance agent working from home, for example, it can be completely remote. There's an there's an additional problem that some learners do very badly on using e-learning. They really need to actually interact with somebody. They really need to ask questions and get feedback from another human being. So it, it, there's a there's a continuum from it, um, in-person training right the way through to full e-learning. And somewhere in the middle is a great place to be sitting, which is where you have a blend of online sessions, seminars, webinars, and e-learning to provide the sort of um, cement between those items.
1: Now, I know a lot of organizations really struggle with, with making the right solutions for their situation. Kind of playing on your one-size-doesn't-fit-all comment earlier, that's, that's a common problem. And, you know, I get asked a lot about what companies should do, and there, there truly is. There's no one response that you can give them. It's going to be different for everybody. Um, and that's not just about um, the organization itself, but the learners, the content materials. There's all sorts of variables. What are you seeing as kind of the, the key things that people need to focus in on when they're determining what's appropriate for them?
2: I, th- I think it's the number one thing is accepting a new, a new environment, right? So things are not the same. Some companies have five or six hundred courses in an LMS somewhere, and they, they, they would say, "Hey, we're e-learning already," but they're, they're not necessarily prepared to switch to people being doing self-service from home, that kind of stuff. One of the missing ingredients is measurement—is measuring how these things are going. In this environment, you can't see the employees; you don't really know what's going on with them, and so if you're not measuring how they're doing you don't have an opportunity to intervene and help them be successful with the, whatever training it is you're rolling out. So it's a sort of a blend of trying to be realistic about making a change, but but acknowledging you have to make a change. You you literally cannot sit still during this period and, um, you know, carry on doing the same thing you're doing. If you invite your 50 sales reps to come in for, for a two days training, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and, and, you know, you can continue that continuum as far as you like. Um, and I think that's probably the number one thing, is recognizing it is now. The big, the scary thing for people is, is this change permanent or is it not? Are we gonna go back to doing regular, whatever kind of training we did before in six months time? Are the investments we're making now gonna you know, be short term and we're gonna lose them in the end? And I think the truth is that things are shifting rapidly towards e-learning being the principal way of doing stuff and, and learning remotely and using self-service and all the other things associated with it as being part of it. So it's highly unlikely that they're going to return to the same kind of training they did six months, nine months ago. I think it's almost for sure that we're going to. The world has changed since um, this started.
1: and I think we've had a lot of anecdotal evidence that companies are going to to make this persist, but we're actually seeing some some real data where um, large companies are not only just extending their kind of remote work opportunities, but they're making it permanent. And we're going to see see a lot of that and. I've actually had a couple conversations about this where I think um, the current situation really has hit the fast forward button, if you will, on what we've been predicting the future of work is going to be like. Um, and you you combine both the remote workforce and you know, gig roles or gig employment, the gig economy, and how that's reshaping the nature of work. I, I think you're right. I think this is going to be something that we we have to get used to, and those companies that really look forward at this are going to benefit from kind of taking advantage of this, which, Brings up an interesting question that I get asked a lot. You know, organizations have to make a determination of whether they're going to do this work internally or externally, Um, and there there are a lot of opportunities to work with organizations like yourselves to produce content and and make this a bit easier to get through, Um, and there's kind of a hybrid approach where you can use organizations like RCP Learning and gig workers and internal staff to create the proper approach. What what recommendations do you have for organizations on determining whether they insource or outsource and how do they approach it? That's, that's a great
2: question. So I, I think some organizations are able to make this transition because they have a limited amount of existing content or they already had a lot of e-learning content. They didn't do a whole bunch of um, instructor-led training. And for, the, for, for those folks, they can do a lot of it themselves. What we can and other vendors can offer them is an extension of their, their group. We we can rapidly do a significant number of modules, probably two or three times faster than they can get them done because that's all we do all day. And we don't have necessarily the constraints to apply to many of their internal staff. For, for other groups who are right back at the beginning and they have it's all instructor-led training, then I would strongly recommend that they get some help to make that transition because they probably don't have all of the expertise and skills in-house that's needed, and right down the other end of the spectrum, people who are already pretty adept at this and and have done a lot of it already, and maybe already have a remote um, workforce of some kind. A lot of companies did have before. I met them every day, and I think many of them are in a a pretty good space. So there's, there's, once again, there's two continuums we had here today. Um, There's there's kind of a continuum, and I think it's perfectly okay to, to recognize that you can't get it all done, you've got those 500 modules you need to get moved, or you've got, you had a five day onboarding thing that you did in a big group, and now you need to do it um, as e-learning. It's, it's perfectly okay to say, we need help with this and to uh, have somebody, you know, step in and give you a hand.
1: Yeah, and I get that, that common theme of one size doesn't fit all, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. In some cases Absolutely. you've got bulk content you've got to do something with quickly. Um, sometimes it's just a needed need for the expertise. Um, and, you know, in creating content, we've done a fair bit of content creation over the years ourselves, and it's um, something that does have a very specific expertise. So depending on what you're doing, the tool sets and the, the technology and the capabilities are all things that um, sometimes it's gonna make sense to outsource. Sometimes, you know, you can grow your team internally and, and create that, that variation.
2: And you put you're talking about something very interesting there, which is the tools don't exist in these in some of these large organisations to handle a big amount of production. They really don't. They you know making a lot of content, they get in a muddle pretty quickly. So we built five years ago. We built a um, an Amazon based production system that can handle thousands of productions at the same time. We literally do hundreds at the same time on occasions, and that means that we can have big projects running with a very low risk of messing them all up um, or, or, or missing something in that process. And that's that's a real advantage. They can take advantage of that when they need it, and then they don't need to pay for it when they've finished and moving forward. So that's a good way of doing it. Yeah,
1: that's, that's definitely a huge plus. Now, I know you've got some practical steps on what you can do from moving ILT into a self-service model. What's What are those steps?
2: I think, um, the basic thing is breaking stuff into chunks. So stop stop thinking about monolithic training and start thinking about chunks. That's the way the world is going. Micro learning, just in time learning, small building blocks of learning, depending on the on the role of the individual. And that's the that that also appeals to people working from home are less likely to commit large amounts of time to sitting watching training. You know, the dog walks in and needs to go out for a pee. The kids come home from school, or whatever the case may be. So there's lots of distractions going on in people's lives. You just have to accept that.
1: Right.
2: The big benefit for the organization, however, is if you do training and then you measure it, how it's going, and you, you notice that this particular component is like uh, security. It's not going very well. You're still getting people being insecure in the way they handle their, their remote work. You can fix that one small module very easily without having to do a whole bunch of stuff. So it, by lots and lots of chapterization, you're able to um, make adjustments to that training as you need to. So that has a lot of benefits. It's also possible to build it out in little chunks, which means you can start with almost agile style. You can start delivering materials to remote workers fairly quickly in small chunks and gradually build it out. We do that for a lot of organisations that have, um, you know, very high throughput where they don't want people to, to be disrupted or to stop work, but they're happy to gradually increase, give them, give them a. Five-minute module to do every day for you know two weeks is a great way of introducing that training to them and not disrupting them too much.
1: And it seems seems that actually helps um, accommodate for some of the complaints of the, the the work from home challenges people are talking about, right? People walking in and the interruptions the, both within the household or wherever your location is, as well as online, right? So if somebody sends you a message on Teams, you feel compelled to respond, or you know you get that urgent email. Um, And we're seeing a lot of that going on right now. So it's, it is, although, you know, that's that conversation on the disruption of the workday is for some another time, but, um, you know, being able to modularize or chunk this content becomes important. You had mentioned, you know, moving that four hour live training online. Um, A lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't actually convert into four hours of e-learning or self-paced content as well. That's something people need to to keep in mind, it's there is a is a factor that they can trim some of that down,
2: or take advantage of that you can get more in. If you have very focused short modules, you actually get a lot more content in. I've always found I, I love instructor led training. I used to do it a long time ago, and there's so much repartee, backwards and forwards, interaction, which many people feel uh, assists the learning process. But if you then break that up into little chunks you can actually tighten it up a lot we get a big saving in total time we'll often take an eight hour thing and get it down to three or four hours in total and that that really is more efficient for people and they appreciate the fact they can just watch it get on with it and get on with their day
1: yeah and i think that's it uh it lends itself if you can get getting more in also showing them value and giving you know getting more interest and creating more engagement there's a lot more a lot more there now, the pandemic has, has impacted us in a different way. One of your other steps was looking at this through a new lens. Tell us a little about that. So
2: I think you've got to embrace the new normal. There's no, there's no way you can continue to do it the same way you did before. No matter how how you know agile your organization is, you have to sit down and say, OK, now everybody's working from home. These, these are kind of these new rules, this new way of doing things. Um, so many of the stuff that we used to teach people and require people to do doesn't apply now. Um, and that's that's really a big mind shift you have to make. You have to let go of some of the stuff. And, and it's really sad for some people who've been in the middle of some major production. of you know they'd be, They're rolling out this massive onboarding thing or they have a, a, a holistic um, uh, training program for all of their employees to discover that maybe it's not relevant anymore. And that's a tough thing to get by. Um, and we have boxes of tissues, and we'll come and help people get over that, but it's, it's, <laughs> you know, um, it, it is tough. And I think as you move into this new world, the opportunity is to see, well, AI can do what we talked about, but it can shorten it, tighten it up, make it more appropriate, give people much more sort of a self-service thing. Um, one of the things about training, organizational training, a lot is that people don't recognize that people don't want to work their way through a big list. What they want to be able to do is to pick the subjects that they're, they're troubled by you know you're, you're in a retail environment and you don't know how to use the the, the pricing gun or you're in a insurance organization you don't know how to do this particular binder, you want to go find that little bit of training and watch it and and be able to do just that one small chunk So that's a different way of thinking about it. There's a lot of new technologies coming out. Um, I won't mention the names of them, but basically they offer a a sort of iPad-style, YouTube-type environment that lets you have a whole bunch of subjects. And We all know that YouTube is the number one way that, that younger folks get trained. Um, if I want to tie a bow tie and I'm I'm 20 years old, I hit YouTube, you know, it's, that's, and there's a reason for that. It's on the subject, they show you and they're done. And if we can do that in training, that's going to help a lot with, you know, making sure we stay efficient during this process.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting because I think we're seeing things coming full circle to that extent, right? So performance support is getting a, a whole new uh, kind of rebirth, almost mm-hmm. you know, small bits being able to get the things that you need on demand. And I think, this transition is is helping with that because that small small bits of content is much more accessible, and we do have the tools now that actually make it easier to surface and access that content as well.
2: But that but it also raises this thing about measurement, right? So there's a there's a reluctance to measure. It seems difficult, and you know some people find it difficult. Most of the tools that you develop content in provide the ability to do assessments, to talk to an LMS, that kind of stuff. And I think measuring what you do is critically important. You know, do it. See how it goes. Measure it. Change it, or change the people. I mean, it could be the people can't do what you're talking about. But one way or another, you need to measure. And I think if you're going to make big investments in this stuff, then measuring it is critically important.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a bit of uh, ignorance is bliss in <laughs> in our, our training groups. A lot of the times, they you know they don't necessarily want to know. Well, maybe it's not fair to say the training teams themselves, but it could be leadership or others. They just you know they want that compliance, check the box, and move on. Yeah. Um, And, you know, from a measurement perspective, the nice thing is the technology is there to make it seamless and happen behind the scenes. So you can actually get all of the all those data points collected and and, you know, really understand the impact and the efficacy of the training without having to get in front of people or cause problems or cause cause it uh, uh, difficulty in terms of deploying it.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's not much value in. You look at an employee, and they have a fairly complicated job, and there's lots of um, you know, requirements for, for training. And there's a bunch of check marks that says they did, they watched the course. Well, you think they watched the course, you know, they, you think they didn't press play and then go and you know have a cup of tea or something. Um, they'd have to be English to do that. But um, that that that's the weakness of of the way most people measure. If you use Tincan XAPI, you can get a, a you know a rich understanding of how they did. And you know what they did well at, what they did badly at, how long it took them, that kind of stuff. And that's that's really valuable if you can if you can get your you know get that set up as you say. So it's not a pain in the
1: butt to actually you know collect that data. Yeah, and the the tools and technologies, particularly um, for video content, being able to to make it interactive to keep track of what people are doing and really understanding how they're interacting with the content becomes really important. And it's it's invaluable to understand both the you know what they've gained from that content as well as you know what's what's important, what's valuable, how to better use it um, and you can make that happen seamlessly it's it's a it's a very different scenario than you know sitting in front of a proctored classroom yes moving it online
2: for sure and it, may, it may sound big brother, but being able to knowing that somebody clicked the video and they watched it all the way through or they clicked the video and they watched it halfway through and then stopped or they clicked the video, watched it halfway through scrub back, watched it scrub back, watched it scrub back. That tells you something about what your, your training is doing. You know, is it too long? Is it too too difficult to approach? Does it have stuff in it that isn't? Because we see this a lot, which is where people are using video in particular for the wrong type of content. They're, they're doing explanations of complicated proceeds that really need you to write it down for them somewhere. So it needs to have supporting materials, that kind of stuff. And you can detect a lot of that if you if you you know take, take the time to measure stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, employee surveillance is another topic for another time. But it, this is one of those situations where where understanding how that content's being used becomes really important, right? And you're able to to drive significant benefits by understanding how it's being used. Now, one one kind of final topic that came up and it kind of feeds into the, the gig economy and the changes in workers. This is probably, you know, and I wouldn't say that. This is a new conversation, but there's a lot of trainers out there going. Well, you know, if we're moving entirely online now, right, and we're moving to e-learning or self-paced content, you know, what's going to happen to my job? I'd love to understand your perspective on the the training in, as an industry uh, and how they might be affected. That's that's a
2: great question, and we see all sorts of response to that. Some some people immediately recognize that they have the expertise; they they, they can they can teach it in person. They're, 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 then they become the SME to that particular subject, and they're able to, to to help design and build really good training for that particular subject. That seems to have a life to it, right? That comes to an end once they've done it, and they sort of redundant after that point. Some people are completely resistant to it, and we do see this, where they basically see any kind of e-learning as something you do in addition to instructor-led training, and they're very uncomfortable with this transition. So that, that, it, that just like the box of tissues for the people who've built the the great big um, training course and now it's not going to be very relevant. You know, there's there's some issues here, and I think it's um, it's difficult for organisations to get their mind right And you're right, there are a lot of people who are um, instructors who don't necessarily have a really bright future. But there's a lot of this. There's webinars, there's online sessions, there's there's one-on-one training sessions, which are a really cool idea. You anybody who's having trouble with with the material okay, you get a one-on-one with John, Isme, who's an expert at this, and he'll take you through it. So it's that's, once again, it's just a different paradigm from the way we've done it in the past. So maybe no longer standing in front of a class of 30 people, maybe now it's a series of Zoom meetings with people one-on-one to take you through By the way, I think Zoom is one of the worst things possible. I shouldn't say the name, should I, Um, (laughs) right? That was a mistake. Uh, It's one of the worst things possible for Instructor led Training when it's a big group. you, You see these spaces, and I keep telling the story of the kid who worked out that the, that the teacher wasn't really interacting with them. So he got a picture of himself and he held it up in front of the camera with some cellophane and he went and played in the yard. You know, I mean, if you think about it, there's you you've got a there's a the whole skill set in running a Zoom meeting, and there must be a super skill set of running a well well run instructor led piece of training over Zoom. That must be tough too.
1: Well, I think it's it's like I commonly tell people it's not the technology; it's how you use the technology. To your, to, your, to your point about AI and automation and machine learning, and all the other advances that are coming as well. You know, we've been we've been talking about people being displaced on, you know, ad nauseum forever. Um, and you know, if we really look at what's happening, it's more about that evolution and and kind of what you're saying for your second step of making sure that you're looking at things through a a different lens or the new lens, if you will. Um, it's really understanding those roles. I think there's some really interesting opportunities for folks out there, um, and we're going to see see those uh, those roles those roles evolve you know, over the coming months and years for sure. Yeah,
2: couldn't agree more. And at the moment, the, the the learning industry is booming in many ways. There's lots of demand for stuff and for people, um, and people with skills and knowledge about products and proceeds. I mean, there's a future for everybody. I think.
1: Awesome. Well, hopefully people are going to be taking advantage of that and looking at this just as that as an opportunity and not a problem. Um, and looking at, you know, if they look at it through that lens and, you know, took that opportunity, they can make things better and improve and and create new opportunities. James, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate the time. If you're okay. interested in in connecting with James, please check out our show notes. All the information will be there and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the Empowering the Future of Work podcast. Don't worry if you think you've missed something. We include everything in the show notes. You can also participate in the conversation by heading over to intechideas.com and clicking on the podcast link. You'll find information on each podcast plus links to our social media channels to continue the discussion. Finally, make sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. Until next time.